Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining me for another episode of the Typical Skeptic Podcast. Today, we're going to get a better understanding of magic and uh, the occult, but in, a, in, in the esoteric and metaphysics, all of them wound in together because they are all tied in together. And we don't even realize it. Uh, my guest was just explaining in the Western world. And let me explain. We're going to maybe get into the ancient gods, too, as well, if we have time. But I want to cover my guest's work, too, because he has a uh, testament to his work that, that it's, it's pretty credible and I think we all need to learn it and, and try to break the stigma, stigma of, what, of what we think of magic and, and, and how it might be able to benefit us and, and I'll even tell a story of how it messed up me in my life once before and let me explain who I have with me. I have with me D.H. Thorne. He's an established self-published author, artist, philosopher, social media creator, and occultist. He continues to be more practical intuitive sorcerer who answers to no one but himself and the spirits who guide him. D.H. Thorne appeared out of nowhere on social media in 2018 as an aspiring new occultist and quickly gained the attention and respect of the community at large. He performs at professional dark magic rituals and spiritual consultations for hire, and his services are highly sought after among those we know, or those in the know. His first book, Becoming a Maelstrom, has become a favorite for novices in the dark arts looking for a criticism of black magic and demon sorcery, as well as his book, highly recommended by experiences magic as well. Become the Maelstrom applies the non-dogmatic interpretation of non-dualism, neoplatonism, and chaos magic principles, other modest esoteric mystical concepts to open the door to a practitioner of any faith or background to begin working with the darker side of spirituality from a rational magical perspective. And then his second book, Shadownomicon, a grimoire of shadow people, released October of 2019. It was lightning struck twice, both books being highly praised and valued, but this one was for highly much more advanced practitioners, not for the novice or faint of heart. Now, this stuff might sound weird to you guys, but like I said, we're going to get a lot better understanding of it because I think there's a there's a there's a thing that we're not seeing in this. Maybe maybe it's maybe I don't think so. I think it's the whole a lot of our Western society. Now, welcome, welcome him to the show, DH. Thank you for coming on. How are you? Welcome. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. We should have you on my show sometime on my channel. That'd be a lot of fun too. You can uh, hang out with me and Flesh Priest when we do our Thursday night uh, hangouts if you want sometime. That'd be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I think that, um, uh, well, first thing I want to start by saying, you know, maybe it's ADHD or whatever. I do have a bad habit of talking over people. It's nothing personal. It's just, uh, when I get an idea, I got to blurt it out sometimes. It's just, uh, it's just how I've always been. And, and I refuse to get medicated for all that stuff. So <laughs> if I seem like I get distracted by, by stuff and ramble and rant, that is partially why. Um, okay. So that, thing you just read was it's i think it's off my amazon author's page if i remember correctly and it's it's pretty accurate when i first jumped out um doing all of this stuff um it was after maybe 15 plus years maybe even closer to 20 years of being a hardcore skeptic in other words um i grew up as a young person believing in a lot of things and i practice magic sorcery witchcraft whatever the hell you want to call it um, was very interested in stuff like that, had a lot of really wild experiences growing up, like really, really crazy stuff, like a lot of people do, especially when they're younger. You know, we tend to, um, the wrong word would be exaggerate, but it's in the right direction. Our experiences and, and they become superstitious things that we attach to, they become egoistic experiences that we say, I am a, you know, I am a, I don't know, you hear this a lot from edgy teenagers, I am a reincarnation of Aleister Crowley or some other nonsense, and, and they get carried away with it. That doesn't mean that there isn't an element of truth to it. It means that they get carried away with it. And the same thing happened to me. I had sort of a crash 
in my 20s. I had a difficult childhood, of course. I had a crash in my 20s and um, sort of fell out of practicing it and became more and more skeptical until I became almost the opposite in terms of fanaticism. I became like an almost fanatical skeptic to the point where I had to disprove everything I used to believe. So I did that. And I ended up with a completely secular worldview. God didn't exist. It was all made up in your mind. None of this was real. Magic was just, you know, a combination of psychology and schizophrenia in different proportions. And I thought it was all silly. Then I realized, well, I didn't have to give up spirituality completely. I could still do things I loved like meditation, you know, um, Zen Buddhism, things like that, which I am not a Zen Buddhist, although I do sometimes wear the trappings of it. I am wearing a robe right now. That's my meditation gown, but um, those trappings were important to me to keep practicing. And I still enjoyed meditation because I was always, uh, the wrong word would be to say good at it. It was always something that was natural to me to enter a mindful state. You know, it's, it's not the same thing when I'm talking to people, I engage my brain right now, but when I'm in a fully meditative state or even my normal walking around state, there's not a lot of mental chatter going around. Um, I enter a meditative transcendent state and that was easy for me. And along the way, just doing that, I started hanging out um, at work, listening to like Alan Watts and uh, uh, Terrence McKenna and all that kind of stuff. And found out that pretty much everything they were saying were things I already knew, but especially with Alan Watts, um, they were said in a way that really, like I had all the pieces of the puzzle, but I didn't put them together that way. And somehow while listening to him, it just was mesmerizing. And one day while watering a bush, I had what might be called a moment, watering a bush at work. I worked at a nursery at the time, a tree and shrub nursery. So every day I'd be out there watering the plants, you know, especially in the high noon heat, watering the plants. And I was doing that one day while listening to Alan Watts and in a meditative state doing this. Next thing I know, um, I'm having a really profound mystical experience, which I sometimes talk about. I probably won't today, but I had a very profound mystical experience where I realized my complete and utter union with the world and the universe and everything. Um, a thing that would be called gnosis in Greek or samadhi in Sanskrit um, is basically what I experienced fully. Like it wasn't like uh, a little bit. It wasn't like, oh, I, I've achieved this sort of empty state. No, I, I completely went, holy crap, I'm everything. It just, it just clicked. And I started laughing and crying. I felt this blissful release. I realized what I was, of all things, watering bushes. I wasn't looking for it. I didn't expect it. I didn't know what it was, except at that moment, I knew. At that moment, it was beyond anything that I could rationalize. This is not, my foundational philosophy is not something you can be argued into or convinced of. It is something you have to experience like a sunset. You can't be told what a sunset looks like sufficiently enough to see it. You have to see it to understand it. And all I can do is point at it and say, it's over there. Follow these practices, you might see it, or follow those practices, you might see it, or do nothing and you might see it. You might just happen to see it just walking around one day. But if you look that way, you're more likely to see it. And so um, after having that non-dual awakening, I realized that all of the finer points of what I called magic at the time, all the finer points of everything that I used to believe could then as a, including science and skepticism, had there, there, there was a way to integrate all of these things from a non-dual perspective. Once you realize that the only thing that separates you from the universe is a sense of identity, 
not a factual boundary, but a thing where you say, I am here and not there, but you're actually everywhere. You don't know it in the same way you don't know what you did 10 years ago today, but do you have any doubt that you were there? No. Like nobody, most of us don't even remember all the things we did yesterday, but we don't have any doubt that we were there. So just that, just because I don't know what you're experiencing right this moment on the other side of the earth, doesn't mean that my consciousness, the consciousness is not your consciousness. It can be all the same consciousness, having different perspectives and the illusion of separation at all times. So once I realized that, I realized, well, now, wait a minute, here lies the key to how all of these things could integrate and be, and be real. Um, just not in the phenomenological way that we think of. Most people have this misunderstanding that magic causes change in the world, that you can bend time and space to your will, that you can cause things to happen. If you look, you will see that all of the more advanced um, practices and traditions prefer to use the word manifest rather than cause. So when I say that I do a ritual and I manifest my will, that doesn't mean that I'm causing reality to change. If you, if you refer to the matrix, you'll have the little scene, the scene with the little boy and the spoon and Neo approaches the little boy and he sees the spoon bending around and how the heck is this kid doing this? You know, and I forget the exact wording, but the, the paraphrase of it is the little boy basically says, trying to bend the spoon is impossible. You can't do that because there is no spoon. You have to bend. The thing that bends is you. When you realize this, you realize that it's a manifestation. It's not a cause and effect relationship. Human beings live in this material frame and we still live in a mentality of an intelligent ape tool using species that wants to turn everything into a tool to affect change, to increase our chances of survival, mating, et cetera, which is why a lot of magic is built around that, isn't it? Well, the reality is that's not what it's there for. Magic is there as a tool to increase your experience of synchronicity to realize that you manifest reality and the, the higher will, the will of the divine, if you will, is what navigates what I like to call the hyperdimensional, hyperdimensional multiverse. Some might call it the Akash. Uh, there's different words for it, but the hyperdimensional multiverse, which is literally all things that can possibly exist already exist both past, present, and future. And it is consciousness which shifts its attention around that multiverse, creating the illusion of time and space as it does so. So sort of like how you can read a book and in your mind will appear the story of whatever you're reading in, in fully formed with characters and events and situations. And you can even have choose your own adventure books where you can shift your, your story just by changing which part of the story you read in the exact same way. Consciousness reads the higher dimension of reality and manifest this world fully formed, doesn't create it, manifest. That's a key difference. The word manifest does not mean to create. It doesn't mean to cause. It means to bring into awareness. It means to, to make it like, you know, this, this bottle, it still exists, but now it's manifested in front of me. I didn't do anything except bring it into my attention. So manifest means to in, a, in, a, in an extrapolated you know, way, if we're talking about definition of words, it means to bring into our attention. So the real intent of magic, all magic, is to wake up. It's, it's a form of tantric yoga, really. It's a way to wake up and realize that you are divine and then through practices, align your egoistic identity with that higher purpose and truth of yourself. So you realize, hey, I'm, I'm the divine. 
Uh, I'm not D.H. Thorne. D.H. Thorne is a character that the divine thinks it is. It's pretending to be this person. If you have this non-dual awakening, that is, that's, that's the easy part. Once you, once you experience that, it's like, oh, okay, this is obvious. I get it. So are you. Everybody is this. This is why in these non-dual cultures, we'll say Hinduism, yoga, Zen, whatever, there is this understanding of compassion meaning you recognize the self and others, not just as empathy or as the golden rule, pretend that they're you. No, you really realize that they are you in another form. And so you seek to not necessarily be a goody two-shoes. You're not trying to necessarily do the love and light uh, greater good thing. You are recognizing that everybody is God having a mortal experience. And out of compassion, you don't want to make it worse for them. You don't want to cause it to be worse, but you will defend yourself. You will act if necessary. Um, you will follow your truest will. And that sometimes will be to do what is wrong uh, according to society. And sometimes it is right. So black magic, dark mysticism is really the left-hand path for a Western audience. It's, it's the left-hand path, which is often thought of as evil because it does not have taboos, but it itself is not evil. It is merely the recognition that if you are the divine, or if you seek to become the divine, you have to recognize that everything that is done, both the murderer and his victim, are done by the same divinity to itself. So all actions are divine, even the ones we don't like. So they all serve a purpose in the higher perspective of reality. There's a saying, I think, attributed to Morticia from, from I, I, I often quote pop culture because a lot of higher truth filters into pop culture. Um, Morticia Adams from the Adams Family. There's a quote from her that says something to the effect of what is order for the spider is chaos for the fly. At higher systems, that apparent disunity is actually perfect balance always. So we may not like it. We may... People will, you know, potentially think, oh, Thorne's a jerk or whatever for not uh, demonizing bad people. The reality is those bad people are part of the divine too. That just, this doesn't even mean that you need forgiveness. It means that you need to recognize your role in life. And you'll realize that most people, the vast majority of humanity, doesn't in any way encapsulate what we would call evil from the perspective of human understanding. Most people are mixed up creatures that do as they will. And sometimes that will goes against the grain of society in a way that causes all kinds of problems. That doesn't mean that we minimize or diminish those bad things. You know, I don't want to say words that'll get you in trouble on YouTube, but the P word, the, the R word, the murder word, those kind of things happen. They are not to be forgiven in the sense that we just let it go and be like, oh, that's no problem. Kill anybody you want. It is rather... This, there is no spiritual judgment that, that, that means that we have to, um, well, we see this every day in our, in our online world with, I don't want to get too political, but with what I call woke or, or social justice politics, where people will, instead of just being tolerant, which is the way I am, they will make it a mission to virtue signal and attack people and, and stamp out the evil. It's like a modern crusade against improper behavior. It's, it's like, it's like Joe Rogan. Like, basically, I, yeah. Yeah, it's, that's, yep. it's messed up, you know, but yep. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, that's a very, val anybody who follows my channel knows that I'm a political animal, but I try to keep that to a dull roar and keep the spirituality side bigger. 
Um, but I do talk politics a bunch because it is, a, especially now, I wasn't going to, but after 2020 and all the stuff when what I call the hidden masters, some people call them the elite or the globalists, once they revealed themselves this openly, what they're doing and the tyranny they're trying to strangle everybody with using the internet and everything else to, to coerce people into a certain kind of behavior, I figured as a Luciferian soul, I've got to speak out against it, which made some enemies probably cut my audience in half overnight. Oh, well, too bad. Don't care. I'm not, I'm not here for that. Uh, I'm not a sellout. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to just say, sorry, I didn't mean it Buy my books. That wouldn't be a sincere thing. Um, you know, I see myself uh, as that Luciferian character, that, that Promethean character that will stand up to the gods and say, fuck you. I don't, I don't agree with you. And, uh, and, do as I, and do as I know is my higher intention. So if that means that I end up losing everything because I refuse to submit, or at least not submit easily, so be it. That is, that is how it will be. It is not being done to me. It is being done by myself as a lesson or an experience that, that I want to have. So magic is a way to facilitate that. So when I do a ritual, for example, for prosperity, um, the thing that people misunderstand is that by doing a prosperity ritual, that suddenly means I'm going to become rich or something. Or they'll go the other way and say, oh, well, he's not getting rich. He's just realizing he's been rich all along or some other, some other cop out. The reality is if we go back to Jungian psychology and we, we, we think about what Jung said about synchronicity, synchronicity is when the individual is getting one way to put it is messages from the higher self, the collective conscious, the universe, telling us that we're sort of more or less in the groove, we're in the right track, we're following, even if it's something silly, like you, you were thinking about watching a movie and suddenly it appears, uh, you know, on TV that night, you know, and, and you've got no reason to expect why that happened. You didn't, you never watched that channel, for example, so you, you didn't even get a hint that it was coming. Um, or maybe you were thinking about your, your Aunt Sally and your Aunt Sally calls five seconds later. Um, those synchronicities are signs that you are tapped in to the higher self. Your, your ego is, your ego mask has sort of aligned with the direction of travel, if you will. And you realize what's, it's, it's prescient. And so magic ritual is really an act of prescience. The way to think of it is, why did I do the ritual for prosperity or anything for that matter? What caused me to do that ritual? Well, I'm using some bad words. Nothing causes you to do anything, but in the, in the layman's understanding, what caused me to do that ritual? Well, it was the higher intention. Well, that higher intention, when it works, was more, more like a prediction. So people will say, um, Thorne, can you do a ritual to get me this? And I'll say, no, I can't make that happen for you by a ritual. But you're asking me to do that ritual means that there is a potential for it to actually happen. The ritual encapsulates your higher spiritual awareness that this option is inevitable somewhere in the universe, and the ritual facilitates the shift of your awareness to that eventuality. So you could go completely off the rails and go into a, a universe that is not where you want to be personally, or you could go where the higher will intends for you to be. Ultimately, the ego has no choice in the matter. It thinks it does. It likes to pretend that it has power over where we go and what we experience. But the ego is really more like a resistor. It's really more like something that has relationship to what is inevitable. The ego says, well, I didn't want that. I'm a, I'm a victim or I wanted that. I caused it to happen. That's what the ego does. But the higher self is what always 
is doing all of this. Everything that is done is done by the higher self. And the higher self is the universe. It's the one. It is the source. It is God. It is it is the true God, not the demiurge, not the false God, not the, not the lower gods, not the people, not the archons, whatever like, whatever labels you want to give them. Boy, it's I got a much, question. If, sure. we're, if we're all one a piece of God, what were the gods then? Like what was Enki and Enlil? Were they just Excellent question. humans? Or... Yeah. What were you? What are you? I mean, this is, this is where I'm going to take a sip. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a question. Who and what are you? And I'll let you roll with that for a couple of seconds while I take a sip of my, no, I'm not. Yeah. Well, from what you said, I think, you know, I'm a part of the collective consciousness and I, I believe that and we're all a part of the universe, you know, but um, so in a way we are, we are our own God, right? Or not, I'm not, I don't want to put myself in that high of a category. I'm not sure. Why not? Why not? If you are the divine, why wouldn't you want to know that about yourself? Why wouldn't you want to, see yourself as a incarnation or avatar of that divinity? Why wouldn't you want to recognize that this is a wonderful thing, whatever form it takes, and to, and to celebrate that and be fully invested in that? Why not? What, what causes you not to want to do that? Where does that come from? I don't know. Mostly it comes from society. Society yeah. tells us not to value ourselves too highly. It, it mistakes, they will say, be more humble. And humility is wonderful when it's, when it's sincere, but humility in the form of, I don't want to stand out. I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to pretend I'm God and get in trouble. That is not humility. That's actually arrogance elevated to the level of, we'll say, um, pretending to be better than everybody by acting like you're not. So it's false humility. Most people actually think very highly of themselves to the point where I don't want to act like I'm God because that would be, ooh, that would be wrong. That might, oh, someone might think I'm arrogant. Isn't your fear of acting arrogant more arrogant than perhaps just going with it and being a little bit arrogant and just being yourself, your sincere self? The interesting thing is when you identify your divine nature, that arrogance balances and you start to realize everybody's beautiful and wonderful. So you don't see yourself as better than anybody. You don't see yourself as superior. You say, yes, I might be better at this task, that task. My, my life is different from your life, but I don't see myself as more valuable or more important or, or more central to the story than you are. I see us all as the main character, everybody, uh, because each one of us is God experiencing universe, the universe from a different perspective. And that means we're all divine. We're all wonderful. That's the source of compassion. This doesn't sound like black magic, but if you understand things the way I do, um, it is because most of society does not want us to recognize our actual value as avatars for this divine and that's amazing. that that's amazing and it, 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 you're incorporating spirituality into black magic, or what people would call spirituality into black magic which is very like you know you don't hear about this much you know like nobody's ever really mixed i mean you could say crowley did maybe a little bit like um if people really, i mean what are your thoughts on that well the term is loaded i mean uh, all of these all of these terms black magic left hand witch non-dualist um whatever the heck has, luciferian people don't understand or they are or there's different interpretations of the black magic is not one of my favorites i only use it because you used it and i used it in that that thing i use it because it's a cultural metaphor i don't really have uh i don't think there's a universal definition of what it means most people think black magic is evil magic uh, other people think that black magic is the most transformative magic or that it is the left hand magic or whatever. Um, 
there's truth to that. So I wear it like, like clothing. It's, it's really just a suit of, of clothing for me. Um, I am not beholden to left, right, up, down, white, or black. But the, the thing is, when you approach people and you say, hey, I'm a left-hand or black magician, they, you can judge their reactions and see whether they realize something that other people don't. If someone is squeamish about the terms left or black magic, they will really reveal to you that they are still caught up in an egoistic game of wanting to be superior than everybody by not acting like it. They want to be the good guys. They want to be on the, the side of righteousness and the side of good and benevolence, and they will work really hard. And then you have to examine why. Why do most people do any of these things? Well, generally, and pretty much to my experience, always, it is always born out of a selfish desire to elevate the self as a good person. People very, very rarely, I'm not saying it never happens, but very, very, very rarely act in a tr truly selfish manner. I mean, excuse me, selfless manner. Almost everybody is acting for selfish reasons. When you donate money to a charity, when you help somebody out of a ditch on the side of the road, it's either because you're doing it because you want recognition or you don't want to feel bad that you didn't do it. So people will, will confuse this I don't want to feel bad for that's my higher self making me a good, a good person. The reality is your desire to not feel bad for ignoring somebody in pain is actually an egoistic response. You're actually looking at that person and saying, you know, I don't really care about you, but I'll feel really bad if I don't help you. So I'm going to help you and I'm going to, I'm going to feel concern for you, which is fine, but that concern is actually secondary. How many people just walk on by when someone's suffering on the side of the road? Most of us do that. I'm not saying, you know, you can ask my wife. I'm actually one of those people that I will swerve the car over to, to miss animals and help people and all kinds of stuff. But I'm also just as quick to punish or to, or to act, um, you know, like I call it against a rabid dog, someone who is really harmful to people. They get cursed and they get cursed hard. They get, they get whatever it takes to, to be integrated, as I put it, because all curses really are a balancing of energies. They're, you're not actually causing anything bad to happen to them. You're actually balancing the energies in their life so that the things that they're ignoring come back to haunt them. So they will have a bad experience. And that is that. Um, but yes, Crowley, I'm not super duper familiar. Uh, he had a big role to play in the last hundred years, obviously, in the, in the path of magic. Um, his role was interesting. Uh, a lot of the people in my community do enjoy him. We have jokes about him. Um, but Crowley's work is sort of um, interesting in that it, it happened during an era when East was meeting West in a way that wasn't happening for a long time. Crowley and the Theosophist Society and the Golden Dawn and all these, you know, uh, magical communities were, were sort of bringing into the modern era things that were lost, forgotten, or kept in the mystery schools of old, and they brought them out to the public in a new, refreshing, and relatable way. So you'll notice the Golden Dawn utilized symbolism of Christianity and the newly uncovered Egyptian lore and all of these things to create their, their, uh, their rituals and things. But if you untangle their rituals, what they're really doing was a form of Western tantric yoga, which is ultimately all of the things you're doing, whether it be spell casting or whatever, to, to get your intentions or not, is really designed to integrate your, there's nothing wrong with ego, by the way, it may sound like I'm saying that, but to integrate your egoistic identity with the divine and become a fully realized individual to 
basically have the synthesis that Jung talked about with the ego and the id and all this other stuff in the shadow to create that synthesis and achieve the, the ultimate realized self, um, which has its bad days and its good days. Like everybody else, I still tub, stub my toe and curse. I will still behave badly. I will still behave goodly. There's no difference except my perception of the experiences is different. This doesn't translate into power to rock the world necessarily. However, there are people in the world, as I like to call them, the hidden masters, who do know what they found influence over the world. The more that you can have human beings not realize that they are embodiments of the divine, the easier it is to coerce them to obey you. You'll notice that nearly every mainline religion uh, throughout history um, usually has an element of this, give the clergy that. And the clergy in the modern era is the state and the scientific community. But once upon a time, it was all religions. There's no difference. They are exactly the same. They just use different symbols to do the same thing. Um, and this is true going back to antiquity. Um, Certain individuals, one way or the other, realized they were divine or were or their memories were deified. And those, those things are called egregores, which is what you actually are, to go back to your older question, or my question too, of what you are. Your sense of identity is an egregore. If you know what an egregore is, for those of your audience who might not, an egregore is a thought form that is self-aware and alive. Um, when you were born, your body emerged from whatever, <laughs> whatever place it emerged from, uh, whether you had a C-section or whatever, you, you, you emerged, your body emerged. I shouldn't say you emerged, the body emerged. Consciousness was in it. Higher consciousness shifted its attention to that little blob of meat and said, this is interesting. I wonder what it'd be like to be this for a little while. And so it fully realizes itself as that thing. It limits its awareness to just what that little thing is experiencing in that moment. And as it does so, because that's the game, the game is to completely lose yourself, like playing a video game or a VR game that's so immersive that for a little while you forget you got to do the dishes. It's kind of what divinity is doing when it's you in a very <laughs> silly kind of human way of putting it. Imagine that on a cosmic scale. That's it's amazing. being you. Amazing is also in a way. I'm sorry. What's that? I said, this is all amazing. Like, um, <laughs> so I, I, I have so many questions. Like, so like, who were the gods then? Like, were they real? Were they, were they above us then? Yep. In, in, in no, like no, 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 no. That, that's the myth is that they're above us. They're before us, but not above us. And before us is only if you believe in the idea of time in the first place. Um, the us that we're talking about, who is that? That's why I said, who are you? And this is why non-dual mysticism is so focused upon unraveling the true nature of the self above all things, before magic, before everything else. It's more important to realize who and what you really are, to step back and stop saying the things that we're, we say that I say them out of utility. I can't talk to people in non-dual terms. They don't understand it because there's no language for it. Um, people who've experienced the non-dual awakening, either through psychedelics or meditation or yoga or whatever, when they have that gnosis of their true self, I joke, we all know who we are. And sometimes we forget and we remind each other when that happens. And it's pretty fun. But when you're asking me who these gods were, so these gods were no different than we are. 
once upon a time they were let me let me finish the story of you to see how we can answer this question so you were born so to speak your, your the birth happened consciousness settles its attention upon this body uh, through way of you know the mind shifting its attention to this body this body is then experiencing the world and at first it's very simplistic just very binary things light and dark you know that shape is one shape and you know like looking at a rorschach ink blot and suddenly a, a, a butterfly emerges on it at first it's just a, a blob of ink you don't know what it is well when the body is born it doesn't know what all this is it's just a whole bunch of lights and sounds that it has no idea what they mean beyond whatever our genes tell us to react to so as this experience happens consciousness focusing upon this forgetting that it's everything else as well it begins to hear things and the brain begins to process things and it learns language and it learns the meaning of those blobs and gives gives referential and preferential treatment to them that blob is what makes the mom sound and that blob makes the dad sound and eventually all of these experiences begin to teach us our subjective relativistic relationship with everything else so the self becomes identified gradually and slowly as everybody treats it alive and real. So your mom and your father or your guardians or whoever that is, tell you the story of who you are before you have any idea of who you are. They start telling you your name, your sex, your birth, your this, your, your race, your, your beliefs, everything. And these things gradually build one detail upon the other. And as they do, you take hold of those and tie them into new knots and sort of do with, do with them what you will. This is what an egregore is. This is exactly, if you look up what, the, what an egregore is, which is also like the Western idea of a tulpa, it is a story which comes alive. It is a, it is a, is a thing that lives in the collective conscious that comes alive and gets a life of its own. The original time I heard about it was, I don't remember the names of the people or where they were, but it was a, a group of occultists who created an egregore. Uh, I think it was a little child or something like that. And they created this little child, they gave it a name, they gave it a birthday, they gave it a place it lived, they even gave it an address so they could send it mail. And they treated it as real. Everybody was under like oath to magically treat it as if it was a real person, to talk like it was a real person, to give it everything that a real person should have. And they went to painstaking lengths to do this. Before you know it, weird things started happening. Uh, I don't remember the exact things, but I think one of them was even they got mail from this little girl. People heard of this person. I think it was, I think it was a little girl. People heard of this person without ever having any reason to know who they were. So in other words, an entity was created that lives in the collective conscious. Even now, people can access this potential thing. This is no different than you. The only difference between you and that, whatever that was, little girl or whatever, is that you have, you think, a body which is you, but this body is really like an idol. It's really like, it's really like any idol used in ancient practices of uh, uh, spirituality where you'd have an idol for a god. I know, they talked about It was about the, the home idol, of the god. Right? It was the residence of the god. Well, of course it was. It was a way for you to connect. I lost you for a second. Talk about what? I mean, they, they talked about the I idols. Um, back in the day they would um worship the the gods and it would be called i idols for some reason um do you know what i'm talking about i thought that's what you meant by that um not exactly not exactly um not by that term but most cultures practiced idolatry even 
Christians do. They just don't think of it that way. They're told not to, and they've got tons of crosses and, and you know, stuff going around. And Jesus is an idol. All these things are idols um, by comparison to, to the actual. So you, God, becomes Robert D.H. Thorne, whoever we think we are. By a, by a method of ignorance, uh, of ignorance, what's called the Vidya in Sanskrit or agnosis in Greek. You'll notice the two cultures are very closely related on this subject, by the way, Platonism, Neoplatonism, non-dualism. They're all saying the same things, just different emphases. Um, you transcend your mortality when you realize this. Not everybody does, but let's say somebody was born, we'll say a king, and this king leads a country. And when the king dies, everyone's really mortified and they're like, oh crap, what are we going to do now? This king was actually a good king. We want this king. We want him back. Uh, I know. We noticed that he was, he had a, he had a temperament like a storm. And uh, when he would point his finger, people would die because he had that power because he was king. And, and, but he was a good king and he really increased the crop yields by the way he organized our community and, and birth rates were up and everybody was doing well. We'll call him... I know, we'll associate him with the sky. We'll call him the storm god, Deus Piter. We'll call him that. And, 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 we will, and we'll remember him and worship him and, and deify him that way and make offerings to him so that his soul, his spirit, his memory will be with us and guide us through, throughout time and space into the future. And you do this, a whole community does this. It becomes an ethnic racial memory and it travels to and fro in history throughout cultures and you end up with an entire pantheon of gods in which there's always a Deus Piter, there's always the storm father, the storm god, the sky father, the Zeus, the Enlil, the Jupiter, the whatever. In every culture, there is one. Every single one has one. Everyone. So there's an archetype, and people who fill the shoes of that archetype become what is called the personification of that archetype. Those personifications are what we call gods. They probably were once living people, not all of them, but many, were probably once living people who were worshipped in life as rulers, which is why we have this hierarchical relationship with so much of this. This is why the gods are often seen as kings or emperors or rulers of certain domains of things, because it originates in a hierarchical structure. So us as modern people, we don't have a connection to that. But we do have a connection to the archetype of it. We do know the archetypes that we spoke about. This sky father is an archetype in the spiritual sense. And there are many personifications of it throughout history. And all of them are accessible to you even now if you know where to look and know how to relate to them. A lot of it is imaginary, yes. A lot of what skeptics say is true. When you encounter a spirit in the world, your imagination is filling in the blanks. But that imagination is inspired by something that is real. That is to say, I'm a little skeptical when someone says, oh, um, uh, uh, Zeus appeared to me fully formed and we had a cup of coffee. In the ancient understanding of that, the gods, when they walked amongst us, were usually seen to be better understood to be inhabiting someone, someone channeling them inadvertently or intentionally. So let's say you, you, you do encounter them and you share coffee with Zeus. Well, what probably really happened was you went to the coffee shop, some guy who reminded you of everything like Zeus, he had long hair and, and looked like the Zeus you expect him to be a little bit of a wild man sitting there and talks to you and, 
and just projects everything that Zeus would. You would maybe say, I encountered Zeus. I encountered an incarnation of Zeus. This is how many religions treated these things. That's not to say that there weren't literal versions of it. That is to say there, there, there were cultures. But I think there's a little bit of insidious purpose here. So when we go to, say, Egypt or Sumeria or any of these ancient cultures which treated their leaders as living gods, most of the time these people either knew or were told the same things I'm telling you about the higher divine self. They realized that, hey, this person I am, this is something I have total control over. I can be a god. I can walk around and act like a god. If I convince everybody that they're not God yet, or there'll never be God, but I am. I can have them pray to me and worship me and build up my egregore and make it powerful and strong. And I can literally move mountains um, by getting my, my people to do my bidding. <clears throat> and when I die, they will continue worshiping me and I'll be nice. I'll help them out and I'll play my role because that keeps me going. It keeps me interested and excited. So they become living gods. But you'll see that they always lorded it over the people. Maybe not the first ones. You'll always notice like the original God is always a good guy. It's always, it's always you know, or goddess for that matter. It's always the original kings and queens. The first king is always the good one, right? We're always trying to get back to that, that, that high holy God that was once the good. And my bird's about to go crazy. I might have to get up and, and, and quiet him because he I can pause. tends to, I love my, no, that's fine. I, I, it's either way. I'll, I'll, like I said, I'll get up if I have to. You know, yeah, pause it for one second. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cover him up so he doesn't, <laughs> it's dinner time for him. Okay. Back. Okay. So where we left off was the talking about these gods, of course. So these gods, you know, they, they are like the ghosts. This is why I call them spirits or ghosts or ancestors. Sometimes people who refer to the gods or even demons as ancestors are generally right. Um, they, they, that doesn't mean that they're all that way. Some of them are just folklore and legends that gets they get deified because people believe in them so much, the egregore takes on a life of its own. I often refer people to characters like Superman. Superman is the modern incarnation of Heracles and several other, you know, maybe a little bit of, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of Perseus, but certainly like Heracles and a little messianic like Jesus. There's a lot of those little things stirred together. It's the son of God archetype, reborn for the modern era, wearing blue tights, you know, and underwear on the outside. It's the same guy, just reincarnated for modern sensibilities. And there will be new reincarnations hundreds or thousands of years from now, hence that will have the exact same qualities and characteristics. If you look at Superman, the qualities and characteristics that make Superman are universal to human understanding as an archetype and appear over and over and over again in our culture. That is the ghost, that is the ancestor, that is the God reemerging over and over again in all of these different pop culture icons throughout history, which become religions in the olden times. But today, it's just pop culture worship. And we do tend to worship these things, don't we? We have our Superman idol. We have our way of worshiping them and, and talking to them and enjoying them. Every little child that puts on the little red towel on their neck and jumps off the couch is trying to channel the, and invoke the, 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 the archetype that Superman represents. And it's universal. And I don't mean that in a way that diminishes it. That is how we celebrate it. That is how we connect to it. And that is what is called theurgy. Theurgy is a way to recognize in the self what we normally think of as external to us. The gods that we think of as outside are actually things that are universal to all of us. 
in different qualities and quantities. Not everybody is exactly like Zeus, but everybody's got a little Zeus-like nature. Not everybody is like Lucifer, but everybody's got a little bit of Lucifer in them. Everybody's got these little things as an alloy that makes up their persona, their avatar. By the way, the word persona, what does it mean in history? Mask. So when you call yourself, I'm a person, you're saying, I'm a mask. You just don't even realize that's what you're saying because you don't know the language that originated these terms. You don't even know where this comes from. I don't mean just you. I mean, pretty much everybody. Yeah, we all walk right? around Dude. thinking we're the mask. We Correct. Yeah. yeah. And, and we all walk. Yeah. And, and we all walk around in a daze because we've, con we've convinced ourselves and been convinced by others that we are the mask that we play. Imagine if, I mean, you've probably seen Tropic Thunder, right? Who hasn't seen that movie? Oh, yeah, I love that movie. movie. Um, do, you remember, do, you, do you remember how, uh, what's his name, gets so, uh, what is it, Robert Downey Jr. gets so deeply invested in his character portrayal that he becomes the dude and, yeah. and like has like a schizophrenic break where he's got to figure out who he is? That's yeah. literally what the divine is doing. It's you're an altar, like in 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 uh, in Fight Club or any of these things, or or the or the um, the uh, the Unbreakable movies. You're like an altar. You're an alternate personality for the divine. You're just a small little microcosm of that. And when I say just, I don't mean in a diminutive, you don't matter way. I mean realize that your true identity is not this thing. It's not this at all. This is just the tip of its finger going, I'm a finger puppet, I'm you, ha ha ha. And it's talking to itself. And all of this is you happening at once. So magic and ritual, there are different kinds. Theurgy is one form of magic, tantra, all this other stuff. And then there's like the low magic, which is like trying to cause changes in your life. That's the miss, that's the bind or the blind as some would say. The idea that you do magic to cause the universe to wrap around your finger to do what you want, that is an ego trap. That is a blind to get you because the higher orders don't want everybody to know because then they lose their power over you. If you realize what magic is really for, the transcendent trip you go on is so empowering, so gratifying. They can't rule you the same way they did it before. It's a lot harder to rule people who know that they're God in a human way. It's a lot harder to convince people to go to war with one another if they see in their enemy the same divine behind their own child's eyes. And they, this is why namaste is such a beautiful word when you say namaste to somebody. So why do I call this black magic? Why do I call this the left-hand path? Because look around you in the world. Is anything I'm saying really accepted? Really? How many, how many people in this world would accept the idea that they are God? Almost nobody. How many people, how many people would celebrate what I'm saying in the, the, the we'll say the the mainstream of society uh, and certainly the authorities don't like it the authorities hate this they want you humble they want you inferior they want you submitting to authorities that know better than you and tell you what to do this is why i'm a luciferian by the way for those who don't know i am sort of a modern uh, luciferian which is sort of a distant offshoot of ancient luciferian gnosticism the idea that you are god and lucifer the light bringer reveals to us our true nature that the God of the Old Testament is an incarnation of the Demiurge. Does it make it a bad thing necessarily? Some people really demonize the Demiurge. That means they don't understand it. But the Demiurge is that egoistic. It's the highest incarnation of ego possible. It is the, I'm God and I rule the world. That is not what is meant when we say I am God in this more integrated magical tradition. 
that's another bind and blind that is put there. Like when you have um, people practicing Thelema or Golden Dawn to become God, unfortunately for most practitioners who aren't maybe taught properly, I suppose, or maybe that maybe these institutions taught it wrong on purpose. I don't know. They think that that means that they become God and an ascended master and can make things levitate and do all kinds of crazy stuff. I am not even saying that that's impossible. That's not even what I'm saying, because weird stuff happens to me. Even when I was in a skeptical frame of mind, we still had poltergeists going on in the house that I couldn't explain, which kept my kept my kept me on my toes as a skeptic all the time. I go, what? How did that thing just fall like that? Like just literally hop up off the shelf and jump across the room a little bit. How did that even freaking happen? That shouldn't even be possible. But I just out? saw it. So did you ever find say out? It again? Did you ever find out how these poltergeists were happening? No. And that's part of the fun. Uh, the divine. So we call them mysteries and mystical experiences for a reason. Um, part of the, the point is the mystery and the not knowing and the unknown, because there's a lot of different reasons for it, but at least one of them would be because the true nature of reality is what is called ineffable or unspeakable. It is enigmatic. It is a mystery. It cannot be spoken of. It cannot be understood rationally by any rational concept. Everything that I'm saying to you, all of these ideas that you're God and that these are the gods and blah, 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 blah. It's all just, forgive my terminology, it's bullshit that we spew while we try to point you, which is God, we try to point you in the direction of your true self, your true nature. So we say all this stuff. There's a saying in Zen that is, that is, Zen is a finger pointing at the moon. But all too often people get hung up staring at the finger and miss the moon completely. So that means I will tell you you're God and you'll get so hung up on the word God, you'll miss the point of what I'm trying to say. The same thing applies to this magic and these rituals. People think Magic, and people will be disappointed. This is why I have a weird following. I have some people who literally hate my guts because I question their dogmatic adherence to certain beliefs. But the difference is I've sort of not been trying to change people. I'm just telling people what I think and what I've seen and what I experience. And people put that together and, and they realize that at the very least, there's a usefulness to what I'm saying. And that's, that makes me happy, whether they agree with me or not, at least I'm useful to them. That makes me happy. Uh, it's building up my egregore so that when I die, I can, I can, and I don't die, by the way, nobody dies. Um, the thing that happens, I mean, you literally die every moment of every day and you don't even realize it. You don't realize that every moment is a new you. Um, and the old one is dead. The person you are now is not the same person from 10 years ago or 50 years ago or whatever. But you think you're yourself. You think you're that person. But that is not, hold on a second. There we go. Got to just silence something here before it gets loud. There we go. Uh, that is not who you are. That is a mask you're wearing. So what dies? Well, only that which was born can die. And the true you cannot die. The real you does not die. It simply, some would say, reincarnates. But even that is turned into this orthodox religion where you have to behave the right way or you'll come back as an asshole in another life that people won't like so you better behave the right way in society pay your taxes tithe to the gods be merciful especially to the clergy all of these things if you look are always built into systems of control that actually distract you from the truth so reincarnation is real but it's misunderstood as this afterlife process where you reincarnate as somebody else and you can have control over it by being a better person 
that's all part of the system of control that we're trying to, as Luciferian types, wake people out of and, and have you realize you reincarnate every moment. You are the divine constantly reinventing itself to keep the game going. That means that when your body dies and you think you're dead, you're going to have the experience of maybe an afterlife with a heaven or a hell, or maybe you'll be reborn, or maybe you'll just forget it all and just blink and start over again. Anything is possible. The, the ancient Greeks believed that when you died, you reincarnated, but it was a thousand years or more before that happened. You had a thousand years in the afterlife and you could be reincarnated tomorrow, but the difference between today and tomorrow could still have a thousand years in between. So that's kind of the same thing. You see, if you look throughout history, culture, time, and space, the same story is told over and over again from the shaman in the middle of the woods that hasn't heard of any of these things in the sophisticated way will tell you the same thing that the, that the rishis tell us in, in the Vedas, the same things that Jesus tells us, especially in the Apocrypha or the Nagamati library, exactly the same things. It's all repeated, just a little different, set for a culture that, that will receive it. So the things I'm saying, if I ever become famous enough, will be repeated. And people will say, well, that doesn't make sense. Uh, that's that, you know, we all fly around in spaceships. So this whole idea of what he's saying makes no sense. But it, people will realize that it's metaphor, it's allegory, it's a way of pointing at something that is so obvious you can't see it. Uh, just like the, the, the pupil of your eye, it's like a hole. And you think, of, you think of it as nothing because you don't notice it. You, you look through those pupils all day long. You don't see the pupils, but without those pupils, you couldn't see. So you ignore the pupils. You don't realize that they're little circles that you're looking through. And, and only when you look in a mirror, do you say, hey, wait a minute, I'm looking out of these little circles. That means my vision is two little circles that have blended together to form one, one, one image. You realize the edges of your vision are those circles. You realize that You've been looking through the truth the whole time, but missing it because you're looking out there. You're not looking here. And the same, that's a metaphor, but it's the same metaphor for everything I'm telling you. You right now know you're God, but for whatever reason, you're in denial, you're skeptical of it, you, you have reasons to resist it. And that's fine. That's beautiful. That's why you're here. But a lot of those reasons are because you believe the things that are told to you by the forces that would rather prefer to keep you in darkness and keep you held down. The yeah. ancients called that the demiurge. Call it whatever you want. It's still there. That, that, this is all so amazing. Um, I don't really have any other questions. Can we follow up <laughs> and do a second interview? Like, oh, sure. This was amazing, man. Um, can you tell everybody where they can find you if they want to continue like learning and stuff? Um, well, you can pretty much just Google my name, uh, DH Thorne, D period H Thorne. It's, it, it really means Daniel Hannibal Thorne. That's, that's my author's name. Uh, my real name will never be given out to anybody because of what I do comes with there's people, Christians, even other occultists that would want to literally hurt me. Interestingly enough, I wonder why. Um, but yes, you can find me easily just by Googling my name. I have a YouTube channel. I have uh, on Amazon, of course, my books, which is if you want to support my work, I prefer when people send me money, it's not just a donation, although I take them. I prefer you get a service or a book or a product or something, a tapestry like this. I'm not just doing this to make money, but people like that. They like to engage that. And to be honest, it keeps me honest. When, I, when I'm doing this and there's a little bit of skin in the game, like I could lose something or you could, I make sure it's a more professional behavior, but I don't put things behind paywalls really, except for my time. You don't get my time unless I'm putting it out there publicly for free. So 
I'm not like, I am doing this for a living, but I'm not doing this in a greedy way. I hope that makes sense. Some people yeah, don't like yeah. that. Some people don't mind it. Like I said, I'm a black magician. I don't care what you think. I'm going to do it my yeah. way. Anyway. Mm -hmm. But the, 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 so, so I, I genuinely, if you like my stuff, subscribe to my channel, listen to me on Facebook, wherever you can find me. Um, YouTube's really where I'm active, but because of all the censorship, I'm using BitChute a lot more too. Uh, I had a few videos taken down, especially the ones talking about the thing that starts with the C and ends with idiots. Um, th that thing that's going on right now, uh, I did a channeling to a spirit called Marboss way back when it began. And that was very, very prescient. And people probably should watch that and see how accurate it was. Uh, right at the beginning when this all started, everything that was predicted came to pass pretty much. So very powerful ritual. And you can see because I do a lot of live rituals or at least live recorded rit rituals and post them so people can see what real magic looks like when it's done. Yes, I use an unorthodox eclectic style. I don't follow Golden Dawn or anybody else. I do it my way, but proof's in the pudding, as they say, right? So anyway, you can find me just by Googling me. I'm all over the internet and I would appreciate anybody who subscribes. Just be respectful. I don't mind dissenting opinions. Just treat me like a human being because I like to treat everybody that way, so. That's I think you're awesome, man. And I want to see some of those live rituals. Like I'm going to tune in for that. Definitely. Yeah. And, and thank yeah, that'll be cool. And, and I totally invite you to, to, to check out my channel. In fact, let me, uh, yeah, I don't have that with me. I set up a new, a new temple in my, my son just moved out and I set up a new temple for, so there's going to be some new ritual videos coming out soon. Um, but yeah, they're, they're scattered throughout my channel. If you just, if you just look at my channel on YouTube, um, usually I have them labeled as like live ritual or something. I think I even have a live ritual playlist. I'll have to make one if I don't. Um, but you can find them if you search my channel, like ritual to this spirit, ritual to that. Um, some of them I've done even during live, you know, literally live, like streamed them. Uh, you know, they're, they're usually a little bit less effective when I do it that way, because I'm a little bit more aware that I've got an audience. It's a little harder to do. But um, yeah, it's, it's something I like doing. I don't do it for every ritual, mind you, but I do like doing it because I think people need to see them. And, and here's the deal. Uh, I'm going to end on this. I'm going to let you close up. Here's the deal. You don't need any of these trappings. You don't need this. You don't need, I do that for the artistic quality. The artistic quality inspires us. The ancient rites and rituals were drama plays done to invoke the energies in the mind and the spirit to get you into that place of seeing the truth. So I do these rituals using things that inspire me to feel that connection. But I've done rituals literally in overalls in the middle of the woods with an overturned, you know, shopping cart as an altar. I've done rituals sitting at a table and a diner, taking the stuff and doing them. I've done rituals just by thinking about them. None of these things are necessary. They're all just trappings that allow us to, to build. When they say build energy, they mean to really feel invigorated and feel that energy flow through you of your intention and to feel them. So yeah. All right. I'll let you close up because I could ramble. I do that. I ramble a lot in case, right. in case people haven't noticed. This is awesome. I'm, I'm going to try to either post this today or tomorrow. I'll send you a link when it's done. Thank you so much. Appreciate uh, it. I'll share it all, all over my community. You're welcome. Have a good, have a good night. Thank you. Thank you.